All right, Acts chapter 4. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, the first several verses. Verse number 1 of Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> Bible says this, And as they spake unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. All right, let's pray together. Lord in heaven, uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sustaining us in the presence of your spirit within us. As we, even as we wake up in the morning, as we go throughout our day, Lord, we hear your voice speaking to us, nudging us, urging us, convicting us, pricking us. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, if it was not for your spirit, we would be just totally, totally lost. Uh, trying to live for you and just with no ability to do so. But Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the word of God here, these first several verses in Acts 4. Please meet with us and help us and teach us as we look at these things. I pray that there would be some good things here. They would encourage us and strengthen us in your will and in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 4 is you see it in verse 1, how the, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, notice what they are concerned about. They're not so concerned with them talking about Jesus, this particular group. Now, later on in the book of Acts, they will become uh, more concerned with the fact that these, these people are teaching about Jesus. And as you go through the book of Acts, you see the persecution intensifies as we go actually culminating with, with, uh, with what Saul, with Stephen, and then with what Saul of Tarsus does. But in this case, this is actually the first mention of persecution in the book of Acts. So this is the, this is the very first time it's happening. So it's probably pretty, well, we don't know exactly how long it has been since the uh, Pentecost and what happened there. We do know chapter 3 and chapter 4, right, there, there is basically one event. Uh, even though it's, it's a chapter division in our Bible, it's actually just one event. Because they're preaching, and they preach throughout the day. Remember, if you go back to chapter 3, the first verse says, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And that is what time? The ninth hour. 3 p.m., all right? They preach, that's chapter 3, and then they get to chapter 4, and the Bible says... In verse 3, it was now eventide. So they, they've been preaching about three hours, four hours, five hours, something like that. Because this is getting close to evening, which is why they put them in jail. All right. So all of this happens one right after the other. But this, as I said, is the first time that the, uh, that the disciples have faced persecution post-resurrection. Uh, the resurrection of Christ, the very first instance. But it is by far the last. From, it's far from the last. This is just the beginning of, uh, of what's going to happen. You know what? Who do you see here in verse number one? You see, they spake unto the people. Of course, those are the hearers. Notice what it says. The priests, 
and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. You know who you don't see here? You don't see any Romans who were the ones who had really had, had uh, power. Of course, there was, it, that's what you had in, in, the, in the Roman Empire. This, they, had, they had many kingdoms. Herod was a king, etc. And so in this case, you, had, you have the, the civil rulers of the Jews, but they were also religious rulers under the, Roman, the power of the Romans. And so who comes upon the disciples because they're teaching? It's the religious crowd. It's not the civil rulers as in the Romans. It's the religious crowd. And you know what? Throughout history, religious people have been responsible, most responsible for the persecution of God's people. You know that? It has been the religious that have been the persecutors. Almost universally. The one exception to that is in communist countries in in the modern era. Because communist countries as a civil government often persecuted Christians, but, but I think even, I think you could even argue that those communist countries is, are actually, is actually, they're persecuting using a form of religion, but it's a religion of atheism. It's a religion in which faith at all is banned. And uh, because most, most civil governments in history have recognized religion in some way, fashion, or form. In Cambodia, they have a Buddhist, uh, Buddhist religion, and so they recognize Buddhism as well as Islam and Christianity and things like that. So, uh, so, but, in, but in these communist countries, we think of them as non-religious. And of course, communist countries, have they've spilled a lot of Christian blood over the years. Not just Christian blood, but other blood too. But they're not really non-religious. And you see it in our country. You see the people that are more of a socialist ideology. You know, and, and if they had their druthers and you, you just, they were given the opportunity to say, fine, you get to choose what kind of form, what form of government we have. You know what they would have? They would have communism. They would have the strictest form of communism. And you know who would be at the top of the party? <laughs> Themselves. <laughs> That's the way it always works. So, Communists, though, and what underlies that, which is what we see in our country, the ideology that's present is a religious ideology. It, is, it has religious fervor. That's why Brother David goes out there, and I, I saw that Kawani was featured by Libs of TikTok. Some of you know who that is, what that is, but uh, Kawani, the, the uh, I don't know how to describe her, but anyhow, through, through the process of intersectionality, if you're not familiar with that, I'll explain it. Kawani is not only pro-abortion, but she's also, you know, pro-communist and pro-LGBTQ and pro-homosexuality and pro-every every other thing because it's where those things intersect that these people have this, it's an ideology. Just like when you're a Christian, you have an ideology, right? We have an ideology. We're anti-abortion. We're pro-life. We're pro-Bible, we're pro-family, and all these other things that go along because we have our own intersectionality, if you know what I'm saying. In other words, those things kind of go together. So these people in, in, in communism is also kind of a religious kind of fervor. You know what? There are many biblical examples of religious people persecuting religious people. What's the biggest one that comes to my mind is Saul of Tarsus. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet he was probably the church's greatest persecution in the early, persecutor in the early days. Who persecuted the Lord the most? It wasn't the people. 
It wasn't the Romans. In fact, you don't see, you actually see Romans paying attention to the Lord and to John the Baptist. But you don't see the Romans persecuting Christ until it comes down to the cross when they're executing him by, by the order of Pilate. But who was always giving the Lord trouble when he was on the earth? It was the Pharisees, the elders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the council. Those were always the persecutors, the religious people. And you know what? When Paul, as we'll see in Acts, as he traveled to various places in his missionary journeys, who always caused him trouble? Always. He went to Athens and people listened and they blew him off, but they didn't bother him. It was when the Jews arrived that there was always a problem. The religious people. The religious people. That's what we see here. Who comes upon them? The religious people. So it should be no surprise that the religious people are the ones that often uh, are responsible for, um, for persecution. Now look, if you would, at Matthew. Hold your place here. We'll come back here in just a second. Look at Matthew chapter 10. So this idea, you know, now in this day, we know that the religion, the religious people I'm referring to are, are they're in Judaism, right? But in our day, of course, that's not, that's not really a thing we deal with. But what we, what, we, in, what we deal with is religious people in the form of Christianity often. But it's sometimes Islam, sometimes Buddhism or Hinduism. But what we're most familiar with in our circles are Christians, who persecute other Christians. Isn't that, I mean, th that's just an amazing fact. Throughout history, you go into the Dark Ages, who were, who were, who, what were the groups that were most responsible for persecuting and, and executing Christians in Europe? Yeah. It was the religious, it was, it was the Roman Catholic Church merged with the state. That was who did it. You go to Islam. Islam was not madly persecuting Christians. That's actually a kind of a modern thing. Within Islam, there is a carve out for Christians. They, they, call, they call Christians people of the book. So you have the, you have the heathen. You have the people of the book, which include the Jews. And then you have the, the Muslims, the ones who are in Islam. But the, one, the Christians are actually, they don't, they're not bothered by, by, by Muslim and Muslim ideology. It's only of, of, of late that really became a, an issue, which in the last uh, few centuries. But before that, Islam did not bother Christians all that much. They taxed them and they don't treat them equally, but, but it wasn't like they were hunting them down like they do now. But they were doing that in Europe. They were doing that in Europe. How you, can be, how you, could, how you could claim to be a follower of Christ while at the same time hunting people down to murder them that are that believe in Christ. That, that's just unbelievable. That's unbelievable, especially knowing what Christ said. Matthew, Matthew chapter 10, verse number 16. The Bible says this. I'm in chapter 9. Here we go. Behold, notice what the Lord says. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. 
And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Notice that? In verse number 16, the Lord says that He is sending us. That is an active command. In other words, He's not just... In other words, the persecution is not incidental. He's sending us into the middle of it. So if you think about it, the, the Great Commission, and I know, uh, as I said on, in Sunday school, there's not many of us that experience real persecution. And that is, to a large degree, thanks to the, 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 the environment and the country that has traditionally exalted liberty. But really... Going back, listen, we're not, and I'll say more about this in a second, but we're not just American Christians. We're biblical Christians. So we don't look at, we don't look at the United States for our guidance as to, as to these things. We look at the Scripture, and the Lord here says, I'm sending you forth. I know there's wolves, and I'm sending you into the midst of them. We are sent forth into the midst of opposition by His express command and with His full knowledge. The Lord knows where we're going. He's telling us in advance. And the fact that the Lord foretells us, demonstrates to us, listen now, the fact that the Lord sends us into the midst of wolves, beware of men, persecutors, oppressors, those who are hostile, that tells us that the Lord expects Christianity to exist in an unfriendly environment. See, Christianity is not only to exist in an environment where it's friendly, but it, 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 the Lord knows and the Lord commands that it exists and prosper in an unfriendly environment. So, it should not surprise us when we also face persecution, either for, the, for our faith, and more and more that's happening, or because of our, our righteousness, our desire to please God. It shouldn't surprise us because the Lord told us that that would happen. Now, that doesn't mean we're, it might not surprise us, but that doesn't mean it should, it necessarily pleases us. Now, look at verse 17. The Bible says this, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to their councils, to the councils, and they will scourge you in their what? What's that say? What's a synagogue? Is that not a religious center? So the, the center of their religious gathering is the place where persecution happens. Just like what I just said. We saw it in Acts chapter 4. We see it here. The Lord tells us, foretells us in advance that they're going to be persecuted in the synagogue. So it's no surprise that the religious people are the ones doing it. And then you get down to verse 18, and you should be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. That is... That's persecution that comes in the form of the civil powers, not religious powers. So you have the religious people, verse 17, the, the, uh, and the civil powers in verse number 18. You know what? You know what's funny? I realized in Cambodia, that was true. The civil, and, and I know this is not true everywhere. You know, in some countries that are like, if, for instance, in Laos or in Vietnam, you would have a lot, or China, you would have a lot of trouble with the civil powers. But I know from my experience in Cambodia, it was, it was not the civil rulers that gave, gave Christians any trouble unless the Christians in some way threatened their power. Civil rulers care about power, that's it. 
Our country is no different. <laughs> this whole election stuff, it's all about power. It's all about power. Wielding these things, these tools for power. So if you don't touch their power, generally they, they often will leave you alone. But the religious, oh no, that's a, different, that's a, ball, that's a whole different ballgame. And that was where in Cambodia it often created problems. And there's other factors as well, but often it was those that were most strictly adhering to Buddhism that caused the people, the persecuted God's people the most. All right, let's look at John 15. John chapter 15, verse 18. Now remember, these, are, these things are all spoken to the disciples before the Lord went to the cross at all. So the Lord is foretelling what's going to happen to them. He's telling them in advance. And you'll see why in a minute. Verse 18, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now what is the world? When, you, when I say the word world, what comes to your mind? You think of... Do you think of people that go to church? No. When you think of the word world, what are you thinking of? You're thinking of maybe the people that get drunk or the people that do drugs or have tattoos all over their bodies or, you know, the people that go to the nightclubs. Or, you know, we, we think when we say the word world, what we're thinking of primarily, I mean, I grew up in the same, with the exception of maybe Brother Eric, I grew up in the same world that you all did. <laughs> But when we think of the word world, we think of a mainly a non-religious thing. But that's not what the Lord says at all. Rather the opposite. The world is full of religious people. The world is full of religious people. And the religious world hates Jesus too. Verse, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Notice that. So the world hated Jesus, and now the world hates you. We have already established that one of the greatest persecutors that there are, one of the greatest categories, comes from religious people. You put these two together, and there's an overlap. The world the Lord is talking about is the religious people. That's, that's who we're, we're not talking about people who don't have religion or follow religion. No, this is the world. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So keep that in mind. You look at the life of Christ, you do a, a study or a, an overview examination of the life of Christ. Those that listen to him that, that variety of people is also going to be the variety of people that listen to us. And the variety of people that cause, us, cause the Lord trouble is the variety of person that will cause us trouble. Hence, the religious person causes us trouble like it did the disciples and as it did the Lord. Verse 21, But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. That tells us something about a persecutor, doesn't it? Listen now. All those religious people throughout history that have persecuted the people of God and did it on the basis and with the pretext of a religious purpose, 
the Lord says plainly. They say whatever they want about their religion. They're trying to protect the gospel or serve their God or whatever. And the Lord says plainly, you go around, you go around persecuting God's people. Despite what you say, you don't know Jesus and you don't know the Father who sent him. It's very plain. 22, if I, had come, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. This is talking about the religious now. Notice the cloak that is a covering to hide their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. And if I had not done among them the works that which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now they have, no, they have both seen and hated both me and my father. So, Again, the Lord is talking about the persecutors. You're going to see more, more of that in just a minute. But the point is, they say they love God and are being loyal and faithful to God in their persecution. But the Lord says, no, you don't. You hate God. You hate God's people because you hate Jesus. And if you hate Jesus, you hate the Father. It's pretty, that's pretty, pretty straight. What does that, where does that put the Pharisees? That's a pretty pretty uh, pointed indictment, is it not? The Pharisees were not just, they were extremely religious, but they hated God himself. That's what Jesus is saying. Verse 25, But this cometh to pass, that the word, their word might be fulfilled, that it is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now, that's a quotation from the Psalms, but here's the thing, Psalm 39, uh, 35, but listen. Notice it says, they hated me without a cause. It's a reference to the persecution that, and the, the hatred that the Jews, the religious Jews, had for Jesus. But notice it says, without a cause. Without a cause. I'm going to read you a couple of verses in 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says this. Or verse 19 says this, For it is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Notice that, suffering wrong. How many of you have suffered rightfully? Raise your hand. <laughs> yes, all of us can raise both hands and both feet. Let your suffering be wrongfully. Wrongful suffering, not rightful suffering. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But, if when, you, but when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. Chapter 4 of the, of the same book, verse 15, says this. But let none of, but let none of you suffer as, an, as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet... If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. In other words, if you're going to suffer, let it not be because you're stupid and you sin and you're rebellious and you're lazy and you're dishonest. Right? If you're going to suffer, let it be because of your faith in Christ or let it be because of your, your desire to live for God. Let that be the cause. That, that's what it means to when the Lord says, they hated me without a cause. The Lord did not give them any cause to hate him. 
He did not treat them wrong. He did works none other man did. He showed compassion. He taught the truth. There was no fault. And let there not be a fault in us. You know, if your boss reproves you because you're on your phone at work instead of working, you're not being persecuted. Even if you're reading your Bible on your phone. Well, I was listening. I was, I was watching Benny. You better not be watching Benny Hinn. No, but look, you don't need to be reading your Bible on your phone when you're supposed to be working. You need to be working. Read your Bible before you get to work. You see what I'm saying? You can't say, well, I was, just, I was reading my Bible. They're persecuting. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not at all. You're just not being wise. And so you're being buffeted for your faults <laughs> rather than for righteousness. Let's go back to John. It says this. Verse 26, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Verse 27 reminds us of Acts chapter 2. And ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. We continue in verse 1 of chapter 16. These things, what things? What he just said about the world hating you. Have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended? Now, I'll come back to that once we get down to verse, verse 4. Notice what it says in verse 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. There's that world that hates Jesus, chapter 15, verse 18. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Is this a religious person or not? Puts you out of the synagogue. You ain't in our church. Seeks to kill you. Listen, kill you. The Lord said, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That's what the Lord says. And yet they are using the pretext of God to murder. This is not new. This has happened so many times throughout history. You know what? This is another reason why it, it, this is an important point to make. It is against biblical doctrine, but also it is against Baptist doctrine to persecute people on the grounds of their faith. Even if they're wrong, even if they disagree, the Lord gives no grounds for a Baptist, for actually any Christian. But biblically speaking, Baptists historically have held to that non-persecution uh, point throughout history. They've been the objects of persecution, not the persecutors. And there are many both Catholic and Protestant groups that have persecuted Christians throughout the years. Many, many, many. Especially when you get into amillennialism. But I, but I digress a little bit. But notice, it's the religious people doing, thinking they're doing God's service. Verse 3, And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. There's the reason. Verse 4, But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things said I not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. Verse two, again, verse 1, rather. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. Here's what the Lord is doing. He's telling us in advance. They are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to mistreat you because of your faith, because of my name, because you live for me. They're going to do it, and I'm telling you now, so that when it happens, it will not take you by surprise. 
Now that's important. Because sometimes if we have a false expectation about the way people should treat us because of our faith, and this is where I want to make a point about American Christianity. We have this idea that if we live for God and we're faithful to God and we obey the Lord, then everybody's going to like us. That idea is latent in our society. It is there. And it's, it's subtle, but it's there. This, this idea that if I live for God, people are going to like me. This is actually the very opposite of what the Lord is saying. But see, here's the thing. We live, we live in American Christianity. We live, in a, we live in a society that has a great deal of liberty. And so because of that, we have, we've accepted ideas and we've assumed things about our freedom that aren't necessarily true. Based upon the Lord's words, Christianity was to exist and thrive in the midst of persecution. You see that? The Lord told us. Not in the absence of persecution. We have this idea, well, if they would just let the churches do what they want, the churches would thrive. Wrong. They thrive in the midst of it. See, modern American Christians are used to freedom and religious liberty, and they think that if the liberty were removed... Christianity would be removed. That's why, listen now, you need to make a distinction between, between being a Christian and being an American. What would we do if the land of the free all of a sudden started oppressing God's people? In this case, if we read in, in, in Acts there's a clear distinction. You have these Jews and the nation in which they live, of which they are a part, is now being, becoming hostile toward them and toward the gospel they preach, but they still preach. In other words, they don't preach and tell others of God's word because the, their nation allows it. They do it because Jesus told them to do it regardless of what men say. And so, as Americans, we must have a higher identity than being an American. Just like I asked before, what will we do when America becomes hostile to our Savior? See, our identity as a believer in Christ has to take precedence. And so if that ever happens, which we hope it doesn't, but if it does, we must continue to follow the Lord despite opposition and resistance, even from officials. See, here's the problem, and I'm, I'm, I'm about done. The American flavor of Christianity is weak. And it only really exists because of the liberty it enjoys. Take away that liberty and replace it with opposition, and all of a sudden it dries up. This is American Christianity, all right, as opposed to Bible Christianity. You see, this kind of Christianity, which is not the biblical sort, can't tolerate opposition. It exists because the rulers allow it. <laughs> 
And it can only exist in an environment where there's liberty. You know, you see this every once in a while. Something happens to a Christian. What do they do? The Christian, a Christian is persecuted, arrested, or whatever. What do they do? First thing they do, I'm going to sue them. And that's all fine and good. Brother David knows about that. And if we have legal recourse, that's fine to, to do that. But what if you couldn't? But see, that's our, our, our kind of default. Well, someone's doing something, someone's treating me differently on my job because of my faith. I'm going to sue them. Whoa, 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 whoa. That shouldn't surprise you that they're doing that. The Lord said that they would do that. But you're, 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 you're reacting to it as an American rather than as a Christian. Now, you might, the Lord might want you to sue them, and that's fine to preserve your liberty, and that's all fine and good. But the initial reaction ought to be as a persecuted believer, not as somebody whose religious liberty has been invaded. <laughs> See, persecution shocks American Christianity, and they don't know how to respond to it. They say we can't, you know, you, and you all know this, they say we can't meet, so uh, I guess we can't, Right? How many churches did you see that happen to? Well, they said, they said we couldn't meet. And it was just like one or two, like John MacArthur's church in California was one of the few that was like California. Of course, they shut everything down. And what, 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 there was one of the churches that's like, no, we're still having services. Well, we're going to sue you. We're going to arrest you. And they're like, okay. And that's kudos on them, right? Because their identity as a Christian was more important than their identity as American. The, American. the American flavor of Christianity would be like, oh, well, we couldn't meet. Government said not to. They might say bad things about us. They say we have to use people's preferred pronouns. And so we say, well, okay, guess we have to. I mean, after all, the government said so. They say we can't talk about Jesus. Well, I guess we won't. You see, this is not biblical Christianity. <laughs> They were forbidden to preach about Jesus and they were commanded to shut their mouths and disobey Jesus. And they said, no. They continued. But lastly, biblical Christianity, by contrast, obeys the Lord Jesus Christ under all circumstances. Because He is our Lord and He is above all other rulers. We honor Him, we obey Him, even when forbidden to do so. Our faith and the practice of our faith. So that's just not what we believe in our heart, but the way we live it out does not depend on our liberty granted by the government. So our faith should be able to be, I'm, I thank the Lord for liberty and you do too. I know you do. But our faith is not limited to to environments of liberty. We should be able to practice it and we should be willing to practice it anywhere. Let me give you one example to close. When I went to China with uh, Joshua, we went to a, uh, we were with Josh McBriar and he took us to several different towns. But one of the things we did is we went to, we went to church underground, secret church services. They're not actually underground. They're not actually underground. They're just called underground. Like the Underground Railroad was not actually underground. But it was secret church services held in a building. And you know what? When, when he was telling us about it on Saturday, I remember, I think I might, might have told Josh, 
he was telling us about it and the precautions that have to be taken and those kinds of things. And that was, on that Saturday, that was the first time in my whole life on Saturday night that I had to make an actual conscious decision to go to church because there's a little bit of risk. You remember that? Because it was like, I mean, they could actually, the government, the, the, the authorities could actually raid this house church while I'm there. That was the first time in my life where I actually had to consciously say, I'll go. First time. That, but you know what I found? That's where I, I, I saw American Christianity end <laughs> and Bible Christianity took over. Where it's like, how much do I really want to obey the Lord? And I, I, you think, well, you're a missionary and you're thinking like this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I had to come to the conclusion, I'm going no matter what. But see, that's, that's biblical Christianity. That's what these apostles were doing. We ought to, later they say, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let's pray together.